What's up, Dunwoody? My name is Matt Weber. I'm a real estate agent here in Dunwoody. Um, if you need any help with that, please give me a call. My co-host and brother-in-law is Justin Dyke, founder of PoolDues.com. At PoolDues.com, they do back-end billing software for your neighborhood swim and tennis. If you belong to a club around here, you probably use his reservation software already. It's kind of the talk of the town around here um, this summer. The show is brought to you by Dr. Brett Friedman and Village Orthodontics. Village is the preferred orthodontist of every listener of this show, so... As a fan of the show, you are now part of the Village Ortho family. And if you're a regular listener, you probably enjoy a good beer as well. That is why our second sponsor is Porter Brew & Q Brewery, Dunwoody's finest brewery. Come by, try their beer, and stay for the delicious barbecue. Now, this episode is important to me. Um, our little podcast has started to reach a fairly large audience, and with that comes a certain level of responsibility that I feel. Today's show will be touching on race and inequality. Um, I personally grew up in a white, you know, mid to upper class surrounding, never thought of myself as a racist. I'm sure nobody does, but, uh, I never took the time in grade school to learn about the challenges that my friends and those around me may have been, you know, dealing with stuff like language barriers, sexism, religious persecution, racial profiling. Those had very little to do with me. And because of that, I believe that I wasn't part of the problem. I've been around plenty of friends that have dealt with a lot of adversity and I, Kind of most of them, I just didn't ask them about it um, because it was kind of an uncomfortable conversation. But over the last few months, I've started to realize that I've lived my 40 years in a kind of a sort of a bubble. As a white dude, I've never felt threatened by the police or worried that I was going to get pulled over in certain parts of town. It's never crossed my mind that somebody might judge my children by the color of their skin. Um, I'm just now starting to understand that maybe that is part of the problem that we have as a society. Even recently, I've told my friends how proud I am that my children don't see color. They don't see skin color. Sasha and I have worked really hard to teach our boys that everybody is the same because that's how you teach your kids not to be racist, right? But we're not all the same, and um, we all go through life in different ways. And I realize now that I want my children to see their friends differently. I, I want them to understand that they need to intentionally reach out to others to you know that don't may not look like them. And to be aware of why those friends might have different views than they do. And, I, you know, I want them to figure that out before they turn 40 years old. So this podcast is for my little boys who will grow up to be men that have empathy for others. Today's show is with a very special woman. Lydia Singleton-Wells was raised here in Dunwoody North, a black girl in white Dunwoody. Some of our candid conversations about growing up here really opened my eyes. Um, white fragility is a real thing, and listening to some of the stories that she told was, you know, at times really difficult for me to hear. But she's come back to Dunwoody to make sure that young black girls here don't end up with the same stories. Um, Lydia is a Christian woman who lives her life for others, and when I started seeing the powerful things that she was doing around our city, I knew that we had to have her on the show. So here's our conversation with Lydia Singleton-Wells. What's up, Dunwoody? Welcome back to the What's Up, Dunwoody podcast. All right, we're here with Lydia Singleton-Wells for the second time. Matt, um, you sound different today. I've got, I've got my mask on. What, what, is, what is it called? The immunocompromised? Is that what you said? Yes. I mean, I listened to the last podcast that we did, and I remember you saying that, and I was like, oh, I just need to wear my mask tomorrow. Yeah. Just in case, you know. <laughs> Safety first. But um, so, yeah, I'd like to apologize to everyone, but um, especially to you for making you come back. It finally happened. The podcast didn't record last time. It was just, it was only Sasha's voice, which is kind of like the voice that we didn't need as much. <laughs> <laughs> Least valuable. Yeah, and she's also the loudest, and so everything, I couldn't get past it. 
I love I it. I'm kind of a perfectionist with the podcast, so thank you for coming back and doing it again <laughs> it with us. It gave me a reason to bake you something. And yes, you got the banana bread now. <laughs> yes. Um, Mark, thanks for joining us again. Mark won't be speaking. No. <laughs> not even that. Not even a prompt. The zipper gesture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just what we want. <laughs> so um, let's try, I guess, to get back to the exact same conversation. We'll try to remember what we didn't and did talk about. Um, let's go straight into God's Eyes. That was uh, the homeless thing that you've been doing. Yeah. Helping the homeless. So tell us about God's Eyes. So I started it back in 2018, but it wasn't like formally, legally built until 2019. Um, we pack care packages for the homeless. Um, the majority of people who are homeless are actually men, but most of the services are designated for women and children. Um, so having something that's specifically more geared towards them, I think is such a, a great thing for our community to have. So I'm really excited that it's taken off the way it has. We can kind of throw in the same jokes we did last time that guys don't hand their clothes down. That That's the issue that girls yeah. go through their closet and dump all their clothes and they end up at, you know, Goodwill and homeless areas and, Guys, would you say wear them until they fall off? Well, and I've never, yeah, I've never really thought about that. Uh, you just kind of put them in the trash, right? Your shirt has holes in it right yeah, now. Yeah, this will so. go straight in the trash. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> I think another big thing is people are more willing to donate to women and children because they see them as the more fragile, more needy. Yeah. Um, they kind of expect men to kind of figure it out, you know. Um, so they just don't have as much help and support. Um, when it comes to being homeless or needing money or anything like that, so. Um, having something that's kind of made for them um, where they get the support and aid that they need as well is is been awesome. It's a, a slippery slope. You can become homeless really quickly. And um, I know Sasha, one of Sasha's friends, Sinet, has she does a lot of like Christmas and Thanksgiving meals. And just sitting and talking to some of those people, like they were pretty much like very similar to me. And then all of a sudden they were homeless. And so it's kind of, it's it can quickly happen. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, they a were lot real of them estate are agents too. <laughs> yeah, they're real estate agents in time of the pandemic, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them are either struggling with mental illness or veterans. Um, a lot of them are addicts. Um, so they all have their kind of own unique battle. But, you know, at the end of the day, they still get hungry. They still get cold. You know, they still need clean clothes, you know, things like that. So, um, these care packages kind of make a way for people who feel uncomfortable giving the homeless money. You know, they give them something specific that they can use and something that they need. So yeah, and so the care packages—that's just something that you, didn't you say it was for your birthday one year, a yeah. couple of years ago? Um, so first, I've—I mean, I've always worked with the underprivileged. You know, my grandparents have a church out in Tennessee. So I was always at nursing homes and hospitals and helping the homeless as a young person. So it kind of just felt natural as I got older. Um, but yeah, we started it on my birthday one year and I was just like, hey, instead of giving me birthday gifts, just put some money in this GoFundMe and I'll make bags. And we just kept the GoFundMe open and just kept raising the dollar amount and we just continue to make bags, so it's awesome. Yeah, and then you used Mark's money for a while. And yeah, we did. It, <laughs> you know, when you do GoFundMes, it's like really popular for like the first week, and then nobody cares about it for like a year until you bring it back up. So we had to like kind of use our personal finances to keep making bags and keep getting things. And especially with the pandemic, everything has gotten like twice as expensive as when we started. So yeah, we're making a lot less. It's impossible to find hand sanitizer and stuff like, you know, the important stuff that they need. 
Yeah, they stopped making wet wipes like altogether. Really? I think so. Yeah, on Amazon, like they just don't sell them anymore. <laughs> oh, wow. So we had to find, you know, other stuff and it's been a little bit difficult, but we just got in a big shipment um, last week. So we started making more bags last night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's move on to, um, I guess, this new Black Lives Matter movement. Not new, but re resurfaced, I guess, in a big way. Um, when was that? I guess it was early June when you set up the thing at the uh, in front of City Hall. Yeah, I think it was June 3rd, I believe. Um, and it, it just, that whole situation went way better than I could have ever imagined it. It was definitely a God thing. Um, you know, when you put together a flyer and you put it out on Twitter and you're not expecting really anybody to show up. And, you know, when you first get there, there's maybe 10 to 12 people. And then by the time we ended, we had 600 plus. So that was just crazy. Yeah, it was nuts. <clears throat> and they, all in these, um, there's a whole bunch of newspaper articles and they, they talk about you being a mom. What are you like, 26? <laughs> You shouldn't be shouldn't be the mother figure, but um, you're walking up and down the streets, keeping people off of the off of the street. I was super vigilant because Masks you know on. we had kids out there, we had elderly out there, you know. And my thing is, I wanted people to have a safe space to protest, and you have to follow the letter of the law to keep it safe. I mean, especially in a time where racial tensions are so high, and you know the police force is nervous and black people are nervous everybody's nervous you know it just it's a, a disaster so making just the sure word that protest sounds bad to the police right. i'm sure so you just, peaceful before it is always nice but you, i had to make sure that everybody was following the letter of the law to make sure that it stayed peaceful and stayed happy and that there was no trouble and you know, so it just went really, really well. And I did. I got in my steps that day, you know. Back and forth. Yeah, for sure. Just walking up and down, you know, two blocks saying, hey, stay on the sidewalk. Hey, put yeah. on your mask. Hey, hydrate. <laughs> Six feet. And I so. think it, it made a big difference that you already had a relationship with the police. Yeah. Too. Um, but we never really got into that. Why did you have a relationship with the police? Just reaching out to them? So it, it's crazy the way God works because back in March, I was sitting at home and watching The View, which I never watch TV, which is weird. Um, and there were three moms on there. All of their sons had been killed due to police brutality. And my heart just broke. I'm such an empathetic person. And so within 20 minutes maybe of watching that episode, I was like, I'm gonna have an event where people can come and talk to the police and ask questions and ask what to do. And within like 20 minutes, I had a flyer up and was already like reaching out to people and trying to get sponsors. Um, and so it all came together really nicely. And we had one police officer from Dunwoody PD, one from Tucker PD, and one from Brookhaven PD. Awesome. And then we also had one of the assistant district attorneys from Atlanta come out. And we had Chick-fil-A and Einstein Brothers Bagels and Krispy Kreme all sponsor and Publix was a big sponsor as well. Um, and we provided brunch and we were able to sit down and have an honest conversation about racial profiling and what to do when you encounter the police. And we had a really great turnout. We had, you know, young people and then we had a lot of adults that well, had questions too. This was a big group? Um, it was First. a medium sized group. We maybe had 20 people out. Okay. Um, and we had it at Sproul and it was just a really awesome event where people could just really have an honest dialogue. Um, and, and get a different perspective from three different police departments, you know, because they all have different policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just be able to ask, you know, if I'm a minor, am I allowed to call my parents when I get pulled over? You know, what do you guys consider resisting? You know, what do I do if I feel racially profiled? You know, being able to ask all those questions, I think it's a little hard to have that conversation like at an event like Coffee with a Cop or something like that. Yeah. So having a sit down conversation where there's breakfast provided and you can ask as many questions as you want and there's two hours, you know, where you can ask. Um, it was such a wonderful event and Dumbity PD really enjoyed it. So when I came out for the protest, they were like, oh, it's Lydia. Yeah, it's okay. Right. She'll be peaceful. Right. And there was fruit snacks. Somebody bought a whole bunch of Papa John's pizza out uh, of nowhere. Somebody bought Papa John's. Somebody <laughs> bought Domino's. We had like 60 pizzas, which was awesome because we had at least 10 maybe that were untouched. So yeah. we were able to donate them to the homeless, which oh, was awesome. You get to merge your two. Exactly. So that was really cool. But just being able to bring that many people together and give them a safe space, especially the kids. Like our next generation has really inspired me. Like seeing four and five-year-olds out with cute little homemade signs, you yeah. know, it was just so heartwarming to see. So, and there, there was a lot of young people that said like so many high school kids showed up, and that's yeah. that's really cool. And then, so you've done the same thing in Peachtree, what Peachtree Corners is, I guess. Peachtree Corners said where was, you started. Yeah, that was my first one. That so, was you and Mark. Right. Yeah, it was just us, and it was it was really sweet because it, it gave us, you know kind of a foundation of like what to do and how to do it and when to do it um when we first got there it was just us and within the first 15 minutes we already had an elderly guy in my face you know saying how do you feel about the violent protest and you know my grandmother always said you win more bees with honey and in my head i was like sir do you see me standing here with the brick Beyond popular belief, I do not know every African-American that lives in Georgia. Like, I am not personally responsible for everything that happens in Atlanta. Um, but I just said, you know, sir, you know, we just want to do it peacefully and we want everybody to have equal rights. And um, we're not out here to make trouble. We just want to bring awareness. And he just kind of huffed and walked away. Yeah. Um, but. You know, I was like, as long as we're just out here, we, we have our message on our sign. We don't need to yell. We don't need to scream. We just stand here with our sign and wave at cars. And we had a, a good group of people just kind of come out. And majority of them didn't even see my flyer. They were just people who had drove past and yeah, wanted to get involved. You didn't invite them and they just pulled over and yeah. stopped. And, um, you said people brought water out and there was a city council member there. So that Yeah, it was, it was really cool. We had one police officer... And he was really sweet as an African-American officer. And he said, you know, I love what you're doing. I love that you're doing it here. And he was like, if anybody bothers you, let me know. Um, and he brought us water. Um, and then he came out and stood out there with us for a little bit. So mm -hmm. he was just really, really great guy. And that's why I want to stress that this isn't an anti-police thing. This is an anti-violence thing. Yeah. You know, we, we just want people to be civil and we want people to do their job with integrity and and we don't want people to be killed. You know, mm. that's what we have a court system for, you know, so. And it is, a, it's a different predicament that these black cops are in yeah. where, you know, they're getting it from both sides kind of. And I, I know they've felt that way their whole life and that may be why they got into law enforcement to begin with. But it is an interesting dichotomy, that I guess, that they're having to deal with now that. Yeah. From both sides. Um, and you met Erica Shields in Atlanta. That was one that you said you went to. And yeah, we went. That was our first one. It was a Friday. And that was like when the first protest broke out. In hindsight, being 2020, somebody with an immune deficiency probably shouldn't have been at a protest downtown, there, yeah. you know. 
Um, but I was fired up, you know. I was like, I'm going to make a change. I'm going downtown. Um, and she was, from what I saw, I, I will say that, she had impeccable leadership that day. I can't speak of her entire career, but that day, um, there were a lot of people in her face, a lot of people being aggressive with their opinions, and she just, she really stood and she really attempted to listen and, and de-escalate. Now, I can't speak for some of the cops that were with her that were agitating people, but... Um, yeah, and I don't know her either. I don't know much about her, but it seems like this last weekend, was there like, I think there was like 10 or 15 people shot in Atlanta. It's just, it was crazy. Um, you know, maybe, maybe she should have stayed. I mean, things are kind of in disarray at this point. I feel like humans are, are going to be human and they're going to make mistakes. And it seems like in this day and age where we have cancel culture, it's like, if you do one thing, one misstep, you know, if they research you and you've made any type of transgression in the past, it's like, you need to resign. You yeah, need to be especially fired. Especially with social media, to... it's made it that heightened. Yeah, and, and I definitely think people should be held accountable for their actions. But at the same point, I, I do believe that people are able to grow and mature and progress and and change their viewpoints on things. So I, I think that it's important to really get to know the character of a person before you, you know, cast judgment, you know, regardless of whether it's a African-American person or a police officer or a person in authority. I really think it's important to really be sure of their character before you cast judgment, you know. Yeah. Um, the the Dunwoody Police Department, you've had pretty good, pretty good work with the last month or two. Um, I know that you had asked about the Wild Wing guy and um, that seemed to somewhat get taken care of. At least they took responsibility for it, right? Um, that was more so the mayor. <clears throat> okay. um, and I don't know that anybody was held accountable. It was more so just the mayor had a heart for the situation and, and she took the time out of her schedule to go down and talk to him, which I really appreciated. Um, and and we can't expect change to just come overnight and expect that, you know, one protest and then all of a sudden anybody who's ever done anything wrong is going to get fired immediately. That's not the way change works. You know, it's small steps in the right direction. But I thought it was very big of her um, to really act and act fast um, and go down there and speak with him and really listen to what he had to say. So what happened at Wild Wing? Um, So it was an issue of racial profiling. And like I said, anybody who's in the restaurant industry knows that if you're a manager of a restaurant, if the restaurant closes at 11.30, typically you're out of there by 12.30, 1-ish, yeah. 1.30, depending on, you know, what the restaurant looks like, what needs to be clean, what needs to be prepped for the next day. Um, you know, sometimes you have to talk to a staff member. Sometimes you have to answer emails, you know, whatever. But um, he typically left around that time every night. And I spoke with the other general manager, um, and she's a Caucasian woman, and she expressed to me that she had left the restaurant at that time many nights had had police officers drive by her when she was leaving and she wasn't asked anything, wasn't stopped anything. And basically he was stopped. He was asked why he was loitering in front of a restaurant. He said, hey, you know, I work here. I'm the assistant the GM on. here. Um, and in the body cam footage, you couldn't see that he had the uniform on, but he made it very clear that he worked there. He was willing to show them the cameras. They didn't really want to hear his side of the story. Um, they ran his you know id and we're like hey you can go and he said well i feel like i'm being profiled like i tried to explain to you that i worked here i tried to explain um 
And then the officer just kept shining his flashlight in his face while he was talking. He said, do you mind moving the flashlight? And the officer said, no. And that's, it kind of escalated from there. And then another cop was called out. And so I posted the body cam footage on social media. And, and I said, you know, I really want people to gather their own conclusions. And you feel like if this is something that you think is okay, yeah. you know, from people who are supposed to be protecting and serving. And it kind of brings it closer to home or, you know, closer to Dunwoody. Like we don't, we don't have shootings here, you know, hopefully ever. Um, but, you know, that's something that, that is, you know, fixable. Right. And, and and that was the thing, you know, during the city council meeting, they were talking about use of force and they were like, well, we have such low numbers of use of force. And I was like, well, if it's not broken, why are it's we discussing it? You know, it's like if that's not something you struggle with, let's talk about what you struggle with. Mm. You know, that's why we're here to improve upon things that you're struggling with. Use of force is not something that you guys struggle with. Harassment and racial profiling is something that you guys struggle with. Right. So let's address that. Um, so it's it's gonna take a lot of work and it's gonna take you know a lot of footwork and a lot of creative changes but um well you're a good person to be to be pushing it because they seem to all respect you they seem to like you i mean and i hope <laughs> that's um you know there's something to be said about that when you're when you're pushing for change you know that's tough to tough to like that person that's like across from you battling you almost you know um but the mayor seemed to to really like you and so I guess that led up to the Brook Run. Um, the what was it? The peaceful protest, peaceful prayer protest. Yeah. Or, so I think the word protest was left out of it. Wasn't it peaceful prayer? Yeah. And it, it, for me, I was just I was so tired, and I know a lot of people are. The, social media can be such a tricky thing. It can be such a powerful thing, but it can be such a draining thing. You know, at the same time, so constantly seeing videos of people being shot, constantly seeing videos of people being killed, constantly seeing videos of people being harassed and beat up, you know, it's extremely emotionally draining. And on top of everybody already, you know, dealing with the emotions of coronavirus, you know, we're just emotionally exhausted. Um, And so I was like, this is a great time for us to just stop for a moment and remind each other that we're in this together and we're on the same team. This is this is an awesome time for people of every religion, every sexual orientation, every race to come together and be like, hey, same team. You're tired. I'm tired. You know, mm. we're all tired in different ways and we want to acknowledge that. Um, but we want to come together and support each other at the at the ground level. You know, get to know somebody that doesn't look like you. Get to know somebody who's not the same religion as you. And let's all come together and say, hey, God, we're tired. <laughs> we need some assistance, you know, with this. And it was such a it was such a wonderful night of prayer and praise. And, and you did a good job of, you know, including everybody. There was pastors, there was rabbis, there was a mosque leader. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he's considered. But I believe it, his title is Imam. Imam. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, me and uh, the kids walked up right at the end of it. And it, it was like this just crazy eclectic group of people. There was people in, you know, like Hispanic robes. There was people in, you know, like mosque type wear. Um, there was a little bit of everything. There was yeah. a lot of, you know, the Jewish neck pieces. And it was cool watching everybody. And I think you had just said, I think you mentioned last time that you had just said, go find a black live to, to talk to or go find someone that's not like you yeah. and start a conversation. And it was weird walking up on that because I didn't hear you say that. But as looking around, I was like, wow, everybody's 
it was almost like speed dating. Everybody was going, talking to somebody. Yeah. And it was and neat. I think that's so important. You know, people have asked me all the time, you know, what if I don't want to protest? What if I don't have the finances to give? What can I do? And I'm like, find a black life to support. And, you know, sometimes it's a child that needs to be mentored. Sometimes it's if you want to go out, you know, and eat, support a black business, you know. It's just small things that you can do to support the black lives around you. If you see someone, you know, being stopped by the police and they look fearful, just park somewhere safe and and sit there and let them know that they have someone that's watching, somebody's there for them, somebody's supporting them. It there's It's really simple things that you can do to support the people around you. It doesn't have to be, you know, raising a million dollars. It doesn't have to be going to a protest every day. It can be something as simple as asking the african-american people in your life how can i support you you go know to, go to gillies gillies <laughs> that's your favorite black owned business yeah. yeah yeah support willie <laughs> um you know another thing i wanted to touch on that we kind of mentioned last time and you know it's it's uncomfortable for white people to who haven't really thought about like my whole life i it, it just didn't black lives matter didn't involve me at all. And I felt like I wasn't racist. And so therefore, you know, it doesn't really have anything to do with me. Now I'm raising my kids and I'm trying to teach them how other people feel. And it's, it's difficult. Um, I know it's not anything like what you have dealt with growing up, but it is difficult, like explaining to my children, like, I don't want to get thoughts in their head, like how it's just tough to navigate that discussion where I want to tell them that their friends are going to be, you know, maybe treated differently. And like, you, you want to bring them in and, you know, treat them like, like they should be treated, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it's tricky as a, as a parent because, you know, what children are taught when they're young, they, they keep it with them for the rest of their lives. So mm-hmm. there's an incredible burden on parents to make the right decisions and have the right conversations at the right time with their kids to make sure that they're productive citizens of, you know, the community and that they're kind and loving and um, welcoming um, and understanding that everybody's not going to believe in what they believe in and everybody's not going to look like what they look like and everybody's not going to be afforded the opportunities that they're afforded. Um, And for them to do the work to make sure that, you know, their space is a diverse and inclusive and loving and understanding space. Um, and we talked about that last time, like Chestnut is a very diverse school, but the kids that Micah hangs out with are all white kids. Pretty, I mean, there's, there's a handful of, of his friends that I know, like that I can count on one hand probably that look different than him, but it's the people that live right around us, you know, and, um, it, it, there, the diversity, it is important to put someone in that group, you know, um, our neighborhood Facebook group has did something really cool this week. I thought where, it's ran by four white people that are very nice people and they've tried to be, you know, part of this conversation, but they invited one of our, what, maybe 10 black neighbors in the whole neighborhood to be one of the admins, moderators of the group. And I thought that that was a cool, just like a a small thing that, you know, makes a difference where there's different opinions in the group, you know, other other opinions. Yeah, and and I was talking to my husband about this this week. We were watching a movie and it had a, all Caucasian cast and I was like it blows my mind in the year of 2020 of all the talented people we have in the world that they can't be intentional about making sure that 
there's an Asian American and a Latino and a Caucasian and a black person. You know, there's there's so many people out there. You know, there's no reason for people not to be included unless it's intentional at this point. Because yeah. you, you can't say that there's not Hispanic ballerinas. You can't say that there's not black CEOs. You can't say that there's not Asian Americans who are great dancers, you know. You, you can't say that anymore. It's 2020. We're, we have so many people with so many talents and skills and things to offer in America. At this point, if you're not diverse, it's intentional, yeah. you know? So you either have to be intentional about seeking being inclusive and out. seeking it out, or you're going to be intentional about the other way. So we just want to see a little bit more intentional diversity, intentional inclusion, and that spans past race, it spans past religion, it spans past sexual orientation. There's just so many groups that in 2020 shouldn't have to constantly still be fighting to be included. Right. You know? Right. Um, something else you mentioned last time was the, um, the the stigma on mental health in black communities. That's kind of something that, that was important to you. Yeah, I, I think that there's such a trauma in, in the black community and we're expected to just tough it out, you know, and and keep it moving. And we're constantly told, you're afforded the same opportunities as everybody else. You just have to work hard like everybody else. And I'm like, well, we don't have access to a lot of things. And we're not in neighborhoods that afford us the same opportunities. And we're not in the same schools. And we're not taught the correct history, you know. So it's not the same opportunity. Um, And, you know, these racial microaggressions start so early in, in the black community, you know, as soon as they're in school, it starts, you know, and sometimes it starts before then. So just imagine the trauma from being four to being now 30. And then you wonder why, you know, things escalate. You wonder why they're aggressive. You wonder why they're sick and tired. It's because they've been getting the little slick comments, the little you don't belong here since grade school. Mm-hmm. And now they're 30 with the family and they're like, my kids are going through the same thing that I went through. Enough is enough, right. you know? Um, and so when you carry that trauma your whole life, you wonder why people are nervous when they get pulled over. You wonder why people are nervous when they walk into an all-Caucasian environment, you, you know? We have such a trauma. And, and so I think it's so important to support the black community with an understanding to say, you've been dealing with this your whole life. I understand why you feel the way you feel mm-hmm. now. I mean, anybody who, I mean, imagine if you had been stubbing your toe from age four and now you're 30. You're like, there's no surgery that could fix this at this point, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so when you think of it that way, you have to be sensitive and understanding and patient with the black community to say, It has been generations and generations and generations of people that have been mistreated um, and held back and abused and targeted and assaulted. The target being looted should be the least of your concern, (laughs) you know? And I think social media, you know, it's caused a lot of stress lately. Everybody's all tense about it, but it's also given everybody the same voice. You know, and so I think that this I feel like this movement is another just a bigger step and it makes it a little bit easier for everybody to communicate openly, um, good or bad. Uh, You know, I think it this 
actual movement over the last few months is going to make, you know, it, it's done a lot for me. And so I feel like it's, it, it's opened some eyes to a lot of things. And, and I've done some research um, and been made aware of some things. And um, I will say that the actual Black Lives Matter movement, you know, they have like actual like corporation and people who do things. I haven't done my research to be able to confidently say that my views match their views. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I will say is I fight for racial equality and um, I fight for human rights, you know, and I want people to know that black lives matter to me doesn't mean that black lives matter more. Right. You know, it, it should be that black lives matter, that everyone who is stopped for speeding should be given a ticket without being dragged out of their car you know black lives matter that no matter what your name is on a job application it should be reviewed with as much respect as a john smith would you know Mm. um so that's what we're we're fighting for and i know that you know the lgbtqia group you know is fighting for the same human rights and um you just you really want in 2020 for people to say you have the freedom to believe whatever it is that you want to believe however you don't have the freedom to harm someone because of what you believe believe, right you know so there's gotta be a level of understanding to be like i can love you and not agree with you you know Mm -hmm. um and i feel like that's where america needs to to get it's got to be i love you and i respect you and you can absolutely come to the table even though i know that there are going to be issues that we just don't agree on yeah but there's going to be a conversation but there's going to be a conversation and every person speaking needs to get the same amount of respect um so i think that that's so important you know i'm a christian through and through and i believe every word that the bible says um, which has made me such a loving and kind, patient person. Um, so I think it's so important for people to realize that you can have strong beliefs and still believe in equality. You can have strong beliefs and still love your neighbor as yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the part people think, oh, you just have to love somebody who thinks like you, looks like you, goes to the same country club as you do, drives the same car and goes to the same schools and university as your kids. And that's not the case. It It's love whomever you come in contact with you know whether it be a homeless person or the ceo of a company everybody deserves that same level of respect so that's and what we're fighting for yeah and i think that that's what the people in the area that have you know taken you in i, I feel like that's because of you because of you know the way that you are and so thanks thanks for coming on the show again i'm sorry i had to do a second time but it was an important message and i i, want, I didn't want it to sound bad it's perfect. Too well, much, thank too you much Sasha in the last one. So. <laughs> thank you, Lydia. Thanks, Mark. Great points you added. <laughs> Excellent, sir. Right. Thanks, guys.